All right, Angela. Well, there's something we need to name. We are recording on Sunday, February what? 12th? 12th? 13th. Tomorrow's 13th, Valentine's right, Day. Right, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And tomorrow we will be releasing the podcast episode that we recorded last Sunday. And in that podcast episode, you revealed something quite astonishing, quite shocking, <laughs> and I'm sure uh, disconcerting, maybe disappointing, maybe angering even. For some of the listeners, some of your friends, some of your family. I don't know. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about the fact that you revealed in the last episode of the podcast, which you should go back and listen to, you revealed that you voted for Donald Trump in the 2020 election? Well, the podcast has not yet been put out into the world yet. Right. It will be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we'll see tomorrow. I just jumped into the abyss that you hypnotized me into in the last podcast. Any regrets? <laughs> um, no, actually. Uh, you know, I feel, I, I felt really scared afterwards because um, I know and you know, we both kind of knew that, of course, this podcast was going to, going to be published, even though I asked you for a guarantee that I would get to listen to it before you you did that. But, um, you know, I, I had this feeling like, of course, it's going to be. And I started to freak out. Um, <laughs> How did you freak out? Like, what do you mean you freaked out? Just what? internally, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, what did I just do? What am I doing? What's happening? Um but some of the things that you said actually really went in and like what um like it's a leap of faith right and um <clears throat> that you don't know what's going to happen but there is something it's not you're not just jumping into the the a, a never ending nothingness you're there, there's something, there's something that you're jumping into. And, um, you know, that, the, that for you, the experience was freedom. Right. And so I've seen that, I've witnessed that in you. And I had this feeling like, well, that's where I'm going to. And in moments, even in my freak out, I could feel like, oh no, this is good. This is good. I don't have to hide this part of myself anymore. And people are going to have reactions. I'm going to be able to, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, but it feels to, to me in my body at this point, I'm strong enough to, to, to stand with those people in those reactions mm-hmm. and it'll be fine. And it's probably on some level, not that big of a deal. <laughs> you know. Well, if, if he had won. Right, exactly. I think it'd be a bigger deal, but yeah. he's since not disappeared exactly, but and but he could come back. Right. And it also, you know, I, I, I realized like, okay, well, if this is going to get published, there are people that I need to tell this to before 
they listen to it or before they hear it from somebody else. Um, but especially my husband, Ferd. <laughs> you mean, but he already knew, but you... But just to tell him that... that you were going public? Uh, yeah. And so that night I, I told him, um, you know, hey, I, I revealed that I voted for Trump on the podcast. And he didn't say anything at the beginning, you know, and then I brought it up again. And I, he didn't say anything. I was like, do you have any thoughts about this? I'd really like to hear what you're thinking. He was like, well, you know, you, you, get, you can do whatever feels right for you. You know, it's, it's fine. And um, if people have reactions to it and if people want to, you know, say something, if they, if they feel a certain way about me or about you, fuck them. And something about him saying that, he was just like, you know, he doesn't like who I voted for. He doesn't agree with me. And he said that, you know, I don't, I don't like it. I don't agree with you. I don't think the same way that you do on this issue. But if people, if somebody's going to come after you or me around this, fuck them. And feeling that inside of me, ugh, it felt so good. I was so turned on. I was just like, yeah, this is what I am here for. I did not marry somebody who was like me. And in a lot of ways. Hmm. And, you know, we, it's, it's, we love that about each other. We support that in each other. And, and that's what I think I, you know, that's what I want. I want to have that in my relationships and in all my relationships Mm -hmm. in some way, because we're all different in different ways. We don't all think the same, you know, we don't all, you know, even in talking to my friend today, you know, I shared it with her, someone who I hadn't shared it with. And, and I realized that the reason why I didn't tell her that I had voted for Trump was because I was making assumptions about her. But when I told her, she was like, Angela, I didn't make any assumptions about who you voted for if you voted. She said, you're, you're, uh, like you throw curveballs all the time. I was like, oh, that's, I, it, it felt good to hear that. You throw curveballs all the time? Yeah. Interesting. How do you feel about being a person who throws curveballs all the time? Do you see yourself that way? I don't see myself that way. But I, what she said was that I'm not like the other people in her life. So she hmm. can't make assumptions about me. And I liked hearing that. This is somebody who... I've known for a long time who I feel like knows me in a certain way. And the fact that she said that felt so good. And actually I felt seen. What feels good about it? Um, Other than being, feeling that you're seen, that you're the kind of person who throws curveballs or that other people can't make assumptions about. um, What does it feel like? Yeah. Like what does it mean to you? It means in some ways, um, I, I'm, I'm allowed to be like follow impulses and be however I am in, in whatever moment, you know, it's, it's just, this is what I'm doing right now. And that might change right? depending on the day, depending on who I'm with, depending on what I've learned, depending on, you know, so many things. Mm-hmm. And so... 
just, it it felt like permission. Hmm. Like I don't have to stay the same. Right. Always in some fixed, rigid place and be good, you know, or be, be something that you think that I should be. So yeah, that felt really good to hear. Um, so I do, I, I mean, you know, I do feel more free. It's true. <laughs> and now I'm like, what else do I want to share that I, I'm hiding? You know? Right. <laughs> secrets. We're as free as our secrets. Is that the saying? Mm. Hmm. I mean, the other thing I wanted to say was, you know, I, I listened to the, the other thing that we talked about, um, in the last podcast, the Joe Rogan thing, I, I listened to this Jordan Peterson interview on his take on what what's what happened with Joe Rogan. And he said this thing, um, he said, uh, free speech is indistinguishable from thought. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, he was talking about it in the context of his what, what he was saying. But when I heard that specific phrase, I didn't exactly know what he meant and but I knew it was it felt like it was something important that I wanted to really get and so I called you and I asked you what does he mean when he's saying this and you said that you know what what free speech allows us to do is to say the things that are in our heads in a way, as a way to kind of make sense of them. You can't just do that through thought. You have to actually speak them out. Right. And to be allowed to, to, to do that is so important so that we can get to deeper levels of truth. Yeah. And that felt so true to me in the moment because I had just had that experience with a friend the night before where I was talking to her and I was saying something, I was, I was talking and she asked me how I was doing and I could tell that I was about to say something that was going to distract her from the actual truth. And so I, I started, I, I said that to her, I said, I, I feel like I'm, I want to say, you know, just some things that will actually not get to the heart of what my truth is right now in this moment. And, and, um, and so then I, I had to sit with myself for a little bit and just like work out through speaking to her what, what was actually going on for me. Mm -hmm. And what was actually going on for me was I had just done this podcast with you. Right. And I had just revealed that I had voted for Donald Trump and she's someone who, um, who, did not vote for Donald Trump, you know, and, uh, does not feel the same way as I do. And I think I felt scared in that moment to, to reveal that to her. And so then when I told her that that's, uh, that's what I had done, I, I shared her, I shared with her what, what I was feeling and what was going on for me. Um, she, she, you know, I said, I know that this might, you know, saying all of this might trigger you and I'm open to any discussion, you know, if you, if you feel like you need to share any feelings. And she said, I know that about you, Angela, and I respect that about you. And I appreciate that about you. And I started to cry, you know, and I was like, oh God, that, that, you know, it, it just felt so good, but allowing my, like, she's someone that I could, I have free speech with, 
that mm-hmm. I can say all the things so that I could get to the, I wasn't, I wasn't aware that that was what was going on for me, that I was having these feelings mm-hmm. of, of f- fear and mm-hmm. I- insecurity come up for me until like, I really got clear, you know, like until like we had that, I had that moment. It was like, I got to go through all my thoughts right now and, and say them out loud to someone who I trust. Yeah. And then, you know, here comes this truth and then we ha- have a deeper connection. Right. And, and, um, so, so yeah, like it, that, that's what we're doing, you know, yes. here on this podcast. Well, you said it in the last podcast that you were, are admiring of, uh, the way that I'm approaching talking about certain things where I just let myself discharge and maybe I say things that are distorted or maybe they're cruel or maybe they're even bigoted or uh, wrong, but I give myself permission because it's really the emotion that I want to come through. And it's, it's in clearing out that emotion that you can get to deeper truths. And I know that I can do it with you because I know you're not going to react to the specific things that I'm saying necessarily, you're trying to feel into the emotional content underneath. And because I know that I give myself permission and I know you're going to pull me back and we're going to get to something deeper. We can't get there if I'm careful. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I have to, because the, the reason there's an emo, I want to clear the emotional charge so I can get to the truth. And if I have to hold the emotional charge inside myself and moderate myself and be careful about what I say, because I'm afraid about offending somebody, I'm never going to get to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, that's, well, that's, you know, kind of what I think that Jordan Peterson means. And, and we have to give each other permission to just go off. And, uh, obviously we want to do it. We don't necessarily want to do it publicly, but like in safe spaces, like, I mean, I don't know if this is a safe space. <laughs> right, I'm talking exactly. to you, people are listening, but, and, you know, as I said last time, you can take bits of what I say or you say out of context and and make judgments and evaluations um, about who we are. But if you listen to the whole thing, I think especially a couple episodes, you start to see what we're doing and the way we're working and what the intention is. And the intention is good, and which I guess is the thing that I'm always holding inside myself, is I feel my good intentions, even when I'm going off. And I'm not worried about being right. I'm just worried about, or I'm, I'm orienting to... I'm going to let through whatever it is that wants to come through me. I'm I'm going to trust that. And I'm not going to hold on to it too tightly, hopefully. Because I I know, especially if it's emotionally charged, there's probably some distortions. And I want to be open to hearing the other side of the argument. And so I always try to listen to the other side of the argument. I mean, I'm listening to this Conspirituality podcast nonstop. And it's the exact opposite. They're completely the enemy. And... I'm getting a lot from it. I'm learning a lot. And mm-hmm. and occasionally, usually I'm like, these guys are fucking crazy. This is bullshit. I'm thinking about their distortions and their, the assumptions that they're making. But then every once in a while, they'll say something. And I'll be like, that's true. Mm. Well, that's what Jordan Peterson said in this interview. It's like, what we're trying to do, like, we, we have to listen to all sorts of people, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, and you might be listening to someone and ninety percent of the the what they're saying right. is you know right. like you don't you don't agree with or you, you like it's not it's not helpful to you. But the ten percent that they say 
that could save you in a crisis right. is important, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what you're saying. Well, and the other thing is, isn't everything that we think our political orientations, our beliefs about the world, our beliefs about ourselves, ourselves, the values we hold, on some level they're informed by how we relate to the world emotionally. Do you do you think? Un- unconsciously, that we're vi- well. Let's just, maybe that's too broad a statement, but w- that we are uh, we are motivated primarily, I would say, by unconscious emotional material. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of like what I said about voting for Trump—that I wanted someone who I felt like could stand up to my mother. Right. Right. I mean, that's part of it, mm-hmm. probably. You know, but yeah. And then we rationalize it. We tell ourselves a story mm-hmm. about why, but really there's deeper motivating forces, unresolved mm-hmm. emotional material, as I said. So when you think about it like that, how can you judge anybody mm-hmm. and what they right. think? I mean, I had the thought that maybe, maybe I voted for Trump as a way to do this. Like, do what? Just say that I voted for Trump. Right. It feels great. I kept telling people that. Well, I, what? It's like, you guys, you do not understand how awesome it feels to say you voted for Trump. And like 20, 30 years from now, it's like, yeah, I voted for Hillary Clinton. I voted for Joe Biden. People are like, dude, you didn't vote for Trump? Come on, the guy's a legend. Well, my reasoning is a little different from yours, but I'm saying for me, it would be, you know, that that I am standing up, uh, I, I'm speaking some truth that is really hard to say right. to a group of people it's really hard to say it to, namely right. friends and family, mm-hmm. you know? Um, That's a good enough reason to vote for him. Well, it definitely builds. It's 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 doing something to me. Like it's building some something. Trump is the great emancipator. He freed you from your mental prison. You're now free because you voted for Trump. It's an amazing thing, Angela. <laughs> what a great man! He works in mysterious ways. Do you see that, people? You don't understand. You're starting to understand as you listen to this podcast. You're beginning. To understand more and more the deeper truths of reality. That's why you should be thankful for your mother and father, too. <laughs> That's hard. Same thing. Oh, it is. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm pretty much there. I've, I'm pretty much in acceptance. I mean, that's what I'm preaching now, acceptance. And I must be preaching it because I'm basically there, almost mm-hmm. closer, let's right. say. This is what happened. What am I going to do? I mean, I'm 52, for fuck's sakes. I'm still going to cry about shit that happened to me when I was six, eight, 12. <laughs> it's a long time. It's another life. But it yeah. lives in my body, unfortunately. I mean, I, like I told you, I went through this uh, process with this guy, Luke, this business coach. But it's 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 not even, he's not even a business coach. But What would you call him? I don't know what you'd call him, but he's, you know, he's trained in bioenergetics and all kinds of shamanic arts, I guess. And he, like I said, he, uh, well, I said to you earlier, he opened up the Akashic records and 
Your Akashic Records. My Akashic Records. Which... I have no idea what that is. I mean, I've heard people say Akashic Records, and I have some... I think they're records of every everything you've ever done, everyone you've ever been, all your lives. Like every... It's, it's all the information. Where do there. they exist? In some place. I, I, in, in another dimension that in, can be accessed through... Yes, through channeling or meditation meditation yeah. or mm-hmm. through some aliens or spirit guides right i think that's what he was doing he was very accurate he went through all my uh, belief systems and he categorized them and uh how they were connected to my chakras and then came up with a statement uh, about the belief and uh and then cleared it with some chanting and invocations and prayers and sound and it was powerful it was a very very uh powerful experience uh i forget why i brought this up what were we talking about um what was this in relation to i got caught off on that you were saying business coach. business coach anyway it was a powerful session and uh yeah what were we talking about why did i bring this up Trump, Trump, freedom. What were you saying? Clearing, clearing. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we need a Jamie. What the <laughs> fuck was I talking about? You were talking about. Oh right, right, right. Anyway, we are recording on two consecutive Sundays. Usually, we record every two Sundays, but you're going to be away next weekend. But we also have a workshop coming up mm-hmm. April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Austin, Texas, power and practice of deep feeling. And we thought that we would talk about the workshop or talk, maybe talk about the work a little bit. I mean, we, we talk about the work all the time, mm-hmm. but maybe talk about it in a more direct way. It's not an easy thing to talk. I, I mean, I think we both, all of us that do this work struggle in some way Mm -hmm. to articulate exactly what it is. And because in a way it's almost like describing ayahuasca. It's like, (laughs) dude, you just got to do it. You can't possibly, I mean, I could describe it to you, but until you actually do it, you don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean, what is it? Even people who, you, if you were to ask them, well, what, what happened? What did you do? I mean, they could describe things that, that they did, but the, but the actual process of it is very difficult to articulate, but yeah, we're going to try. Okay. We're going to try. Well, what, what is it for you? I mean, maybe we can share our experience, not the whole story, but the, the moment that like, we got it, like that you, you understood something about this work that you had your first breakthrough, like why you were drawn to it, what it meant to you, what was happening for you. Do you remember? I mean, I remember. I could go first. Okay, yeah, you go first. Well, I, uh, Miguel introduced me to the work. Tom Strutt, he was a therapist working out of Toronto. And he went to this little mini workshop that he did. I think it was a day or a weekend. And it was him and five middle-aged women. He was in his late twenties, jacked, gorgeous. So he's the odd man. And 
he had this confrontation with this with Tom Strut, and uh, the conf- confrontation ended with Miguel crying, bawling in his arms. In Tom's Tom's arms, uh-huh. like Tom was cradling him, holding him, and Miguel was sobbing. And I was stunned by this. I was like, what? Mm. I couldn't fathom it. And I felt like that was terrifying to me, but I also felt like I wanted that or I needed that. There was something that drew me to it. And so I started, I was in California at the time, but I had a girlfriend in Toronto. So I was coming back summers to, and for work. And so I started seeing him when I was in Toronto for the summer. And, uh, I'd been in therapy for a number of years, had a couple of different therapists and it was great. And I started to understand what I call the math of my problem, like how my childhood, the things in my childhood were impacting my life in the present and the connection between them. But I wanted to feel Mm. and I wasn't crying or emoting really. And, I, and probably because I was scared to, or the therapist, that's not exactly how they were oriented. But I went down hard in Strutt's office. Mm, wow. The first time he had me stand up, which was unusual. He's like, I'm going to take a look at your body. Is that okay? I was like, yeah. I didn't know what that meant. And he walked around me. He looked at my body. And then he said, you look like a boy waiting to be told what to do. Oh, man. <laughs> and. Wow. He said, how does that make you feel? I said, pissed off. He said, good. And then he had me do some exercises, some vibrating. You know, I hung over, some breathing. And then it was like he was behind me. And then all of a sudden, it's like he stepped in front of me. He was six inches from my face and just said to me, how long have you been lonely? That's how I remember it in that voice. How long have you been lonely? And I just burst into tears. Oh. Mm-hmm. So it was game on. I was like, okay, this this dude can take me there. Mm. And I didn't even know what was going on, but mm-hmm. I knew stuff was coming up. And then he had me hit in subsequent sessions and, you know, hit with the racket and all this rage came out. I was terrified to hit initially. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, you know, he said, what's what's scary about this for you? And I said, I don't know what the fuck is going to come out of me. Mm. I said, well, that's the point. You know, see what's see what's stuck in there. And so I finally got into that a little bit. And then he had me lie in the bed and I did the tantrum thing. And I went into the tantrum for about 10 seconds. And then I stopped. And he said, what happened? I said, I, I, I saw like as soon as I started hitting and kicking and screaming, I just saw this dark hole, this mm. void of nothing. It was like kind of red. It was just hell, this insane place. That's how it felt to me. I just stopped. It was too much. It was overwhelming. I didn't know what that meant, but I also knew I probably need to go further into that. Like just lying on a bed, throwing a little tantrum and making some sound brought me to its state of deep terror. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck that. (laughs) Fuck that. But also, I probably need to go further into it. And then 
<clears throat> cut to five years later, just got dumped by Heather Graham. Hmm. My TV show had been canceled. And I'm, I guess, depressed. I don't know. I'm sad. I feel disoriented. I feel a bit lost. You know, I tell this story all the time. It's on my website. That I, uh, I, I had everything I wanted, but I was basically unhappy. And I didn't know why. And Miguel was like, you need to go up to Esalen to this workshop with this woman, Ann Bradney. And, you know, he was right the last time. And he had trained with her in New York and he said, she's awesome. So I went and just completely got my mind blown mm. by what happened up there. Obviously, we know that she's a, a genius, incredibly skilled facilitator, very committed. And uh, the whole experience was just deeply profound. And what happened for me, the process where I think I really understood it, I don't, I don't know that I've told this, maybe I've told it on the podcast before, but you know, I killed my mother. Mm-hmm. And it was like on the fourth day, I think, third or fourth day. So I was pretty charged up. There was a lot going on. And I remember Anne said to me, uh, have you ever worked with your cruelty? And I didn't even know what that meant, mm. my cruelty. I said, no. And then she got out the boxing gloves and the pad, and then I started beating her up. And then- You I started hit, beating her up? Beating, well, she had the boxing pad, mm-hmm. but she was holding it. And then Big Jim was uh, her assistant mm-hmm. out at Core East. He was standing be- behind her, holding her, supporting her, because I was a young- pretty strong fucking guy and I was letting loose and I was knocking in across the room and I was saying the darkest shit Mm. like I own you Mm. you're mine now I can do whatever the fuck I want to you you get you feel that you feel that there's nothing you can do and I didn't know what any of that meant but I just let it come out of me Mm. and then you know once I punched myself out and had me she lay down and then she put a pillow beside her head and she had me with my fists uh, clasp, my hands clasped, you know, over my head, started pounding down on my knees. I was on my knees, pounding down on the pillow. Mm. Oh, first she had me stomp. She's like, just stomp on the pillow with your uh, foot, you know? And I started to, but first I started to dig my heel in like I was torturing her. Mm. I was just like, do you feel that? Do you fucking feel that? Mm-hmm. Do you feel that? It was all about, I have the power now. Mm. And I wanted to torture her. I wanted her to feel that I was on top, that I had the power. You are at my mercy and you will get none. Mm. And, uh, and then ultimately I went all the way into the, into it. I like discharged all the energy and killed her. I mean, what does that mean? Well, you know, I, I pounded with my fists over and over and over again. And then I got pretty tired. And then Anne, you know, she was in the role, but she would de-roll. And, and it's not, it's very organic. I mean, that's a, a horrible word, but it's, 
it's real. Mm-hmm. It feels, I mean, you know that it's not real, but it feels fucking real. It's like the perfect acting scene. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to go all if the way. If you're willing to go all the way. And I think the fact that I was an actor helped me because I'm used to existing in that space where it's, yes, I know we're on stage or I know there's cameras there, but I am, you want the scene to be real. You want it to feel real. You want to feel the emotions that the character is actually feeling. And you can do that. You could get to those places. And that's when it feels most alive and beautiful. And it's like that, but it's even deeper because there's no script. You're just improvising. And uh, so I, yeah, I drained all this, you know, pounding and drained all this energy. And then she said, is she dead yet? I said, no. And then she said, keep going. And then Mm -hmm. I kept pounding, 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 pounding like a madman. And every once in a while, I'd look around and catch a glimpse. And (laughs) it was all women at the workshop. They were all huddled together, (laughs) sobbing, (laughs) terrified. And not all of them, but many of them. Obviously, it's disturbing. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, I was like, well, no human could survive the bludgeoning that I just delivered. Mm. So yes, she's dead. And then she lay me down on my back and I was like a wounded animal just making weird fucking, I don't know where I was. Mm. And she laid me down and um, she had, she said, you know, raise your arms, like, you know, like reach your arms up. And I did. And then she came right into my top, you know, right above me. So it was like the mother and I'm Mm. like the little baby on the ground. And she just said, what did you need from me? And I said, I wanted, I just wanted you to love me. Mm-hmm. And then I just cried like a motherfucker, like just my balls from my balls, mm-hmm. just sobbed and shook. And I know I've told you this story many times and maybe I have told it on this podcast, but it's worth telling again, because in that moment, you, I understood everything. And after I wept and then people came over and they witnessed me there, all that was in my body, all that, all that rage, all that desire to torture, to punish, to pay back, all that was in me stored in my body. And then underneath it was this deep pain and grief of wanting to be loved and not being loved, or at least not in the way that I needed and the longing that was there. And, uh, and once I felt all the way through those layers, the rage, the grief, the pain, my heart just opened up Mm. and I felt this moment of unity consciousness, kind of nirvana, like at peace, I felt connected to everyone and everything. I felt my heart open. I was just, it's just pure love. I mean, I was in a very tender place, but you know, I'll never forget that. And, and the understanding that it gives you one about, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff inside me and stuff inside everyone that we don't know about. Mm. And it's controlling everything. I mean, if I've got that level of rage inside me, that's unconscious, that's in the shadow, that's disowned, 
how do you think my relationships with women are going to go? When they trigger me, where they do something that reminds me of my mother, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to have this, <laughs> you know, rage come up and I'm not going to, you know, and even if I control it, I'm still going to be suppressing and it's going to come out in all kinds of distorted ways. And I'm going to have no idea that what's really going on is that I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's my little three, four or five year old boy that's dying to be seen or received in some way. I have no consciousness of that, of that. So I'm just going to blame it on my partner, make her the enemy. And I'm going to do that over and over and over and over again. I'm never going to know why Mm. I'm never going to get to the bottom of it. So I'm just going to conclude Oh, women. This is what they're like. They're all fucking crazy. They don't care about me. They don't care about my needs. They're just using me, whatever. That's all my own shit. But how do you know that until you go through a process like that? You can't, you can know it intellectually, but when you let the energy, the emotion move through your body, I mean, and you do it consciously in a state of presence. And that's, that's the key to this work. It's not just getting in a room screaming and yelling and letting out your anger. You have to do it in presence. Mm -hmm. You have to be here in the room. You can't disassociate. That's what the, that's where you heal, right? It's like you, you, you reclaim that part of yourself and you take ownership of it all the way without judgment. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. You know, I didn't judge myself for that. Uh, how could how could I judge myself for the murderous rage or the, my desire to torture when I saw what it was about? It was protecting my deepest vulnerability. I saw it's very clear to me what it was. So when I look out in the world and I see people doing horrific things, the first thing that I think about is that person, there must be deep pain there. Like there, there's a wounding, there's a trauma that they're not aware of. And once I understood this concept, I just felt like everybody needs to know about this. This feels like the most important thing to understand. I, I want to ask a question that mm-hmm. I think is important, actually. And I, and I want to say, I don't think I've ever heard you tell the story uh, the way that you just told it. So, oh, really? Yeah. Um, but the thing I wanted to ask was just that how... How did your, or did your relationships, because I I know at least one, but after that, how did your relationships with women, did they, did it change anything? Ultimately, yeah. It took some time to integrate all of it. Um, I couldn't, it took me some time to get over the hook that I still had from my mother. And what I mean by that is there was some part of me that wanted to recreate the dynamic with my mother, with a girlfriend. I was doing this unconsciously and then fix it. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, but of course, you know, that that's the, the bind that you put yourself in. I'm going to be attracted to somebody who has some kind of the qualities of my mother. 
and then I'm going to demand of that she give me all the things that my mother did not. Mm-hmm. It's a setup. Mm-hmm. And it's a way that I get to continue uh, judging and blaming and punishing and making myself a victim and confirming the story that I, you know, in my case, I'm not seen, I'm not appreciated, my needs don't get met. And I remember Anne asking me that. I said, you know, I'm dating this woman, she's not meeting my needs. And she said, well, why are you dating a woman who doesn't meet your needs? It's like, oh, okay, fair enough. So it took me a while to stop being attracted to that dynamic, that situation. Like there was a very, very strong pull there. Um, I had a lot more consciousness about it, but uh, I was, you know, and I think it, it didn't really end fully until the the relationship that I had, which we discussed on a podcast recently, uh, where, you know, it was almost rock bottom. Mm. And now I'm in a relationship where none of that exists. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a completely, Diane is completely different than any of the women that I've dated before. Well, I guess I, I wanted to ask that question because I want to also just name that it wasn't just one workshop, you know? And, yeah, I know. Um, and that this, you know, what we're, what we're doing, um, this power and pra- practice of deep feeling, it really is a practice. Yes. And, you know, it takes sometimes years of being willing to go kill your mother over and over again. Yeah. And I think that's what it was for me. You know, like when you say like, what was the moment? I don't, I don't really know if there was a specific moment for me, like the way that you just described. Mm. It was like, uh, you know, I mean, I was very skeptical going in and I, you know, I mean, from the moment that somebody referred Anne to me, you know, they were referring Anne as a couples therapist and I called her voicemail, you know, I called her and she, her voicemail answered and her voice, the way that she spoke, I was triggered by, and I was like, no, this person is not for me. Hi, it's Anne. And so, so glad you called. So- Please leave a message. And if you're listening, I just want you to know, I love your voice now. But, but then I was like, no. And so then a year later, you know, Ferd and I were having more issues. And my friend who had referred to Anne, she was like, you know, I would give Anne another try. And so I was like, okay. So we set up a session with her. And after the first session, I think that was when Ferd said, oh, because we'd, we'd seen other therapists. But he was like, oh, you're not like other therapists. You're not about getting us to just like ground zero, like neutral. You're about getting us to our potential. Mm. And when he said that, which I thought was very surprised that he'd said that because, you know, he was, he was also very skeptical. Um, I was like, oh, this person, this person is, is there's something going on here. She's, Mm -hmm. she's, she's doing something here. And so then I, I joined her group and, um, this was back in New York. Like, what do you uh, mean her group? What was it? What, like a Wednesday night group or something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many people were in it? 
Mm, I think that first group, there were like six of us. And it was uh, just her leading it? Yep, just her leading it. Mm. And Where? Uh, in her office in New York on 28th Street. Okay. Do you Did you ever go there? No. Yeah, it was in this building on the, I don't know, 11th floor, something mm-hmm. like that, you know, mm-hmm. and just this big kind of warehousey office space. Mm-hmm. And she wore skirts a lot back then. Like yeah, she never... wore skirts at Esalen the first time. Okay. So, you know, she she just seemed very, I don't know, there was something very kind of feminine and, you know, but underneath that, and now I think of her this way, I'm just like, yeah, she's not a therapist. She's like a shaman, yeah. you know, yeah. in a dress. And so... Um, and school teacher glasses, marm kind of, yeah, yeah. it's no, no, not, not that at all. So she, but, but in the group, one of the first things that I remember happening was that someone said, Angela, you're so conceited. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And I, and I looked at her and I was like, and (laughs) (laughs) wow. And I had never done anything like that. And um, no one had ever said anything like that to me so directly. Hmm. And so I was kind of offended underneath, you know, and like, just like my ego got, you know, something. But I also liked the fact that you could just say stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I could react in the way that I did. Because right. that was not the way that I would <clears throat> normally react. Right. And so... I think back then it was kind of like, it wasn't what radical aliveness became, mm-hmm. but it was the beginning. And, you know, what Anne said is that what she started to notice was that her groups were starting to erupt, you know, like things, things were just coming out, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so it evolved into this place. And I think I was coming into just as, as that evolution was taking place. And so then um, she invited me to come to her school. Right. Like I, I'd been doing, I think, a couple years maybe of group. And then and we'd done our couples work with her. And then at some point, you know, I think I stopped going for a little while. And then, and then at, we were moving to L.A. And then she was moving to L.A. And three months before we moved, she called. And she said, Angela, I'm starting the school in in LA and I would I think I think you'd really like it. I think it'd be really great for you. And I was like, and there's no way I'm gonna go to a school that I'm gonna become I, I don't I'm never gonna be a therapist. I don't you know, I'm an actor and I'm a singer and this is what I'm gonna do. And she she was like, Well, you know, this really it's you could just go for two years and it's really about stepping into your personal greatness. And I was like Oh, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think this is for me. And then, you know, same, I've told this story a million times. That night, I think I had a dream that I was in a group that looked very much like the room that I stepped into when I first went to the training. But I didn't know that at the time. I just had, I was in this room with a group of people. Anne was facilitating. I was in a back bend. And... Um, she was shaking me until something 
opened up in my head and something popped out of my head and it fell out. And then I stood up and I thought, oh, I'm free. And my next thought in the dream was, I want to learn how to do this for other people. Right. And so when I woke up, I was like, oh, shit, I think I'm going to that school. And so then the first day of the first module was when we moved to, we were driving from New York to LA. So I missed that module. And then I kept going. But, you know, I went basically, I was following the dream. But then I, when I went, man, the first day of of class, when I got there, the first day of the module, the second module, which, you know, was of that, that year, I had an experience that, I mean, it, it, it shocked me, um, where this, she, she had us paired off with, um, somebody in your class. And so I was with this guy and she said, just make sounds, just let whatever wants to come out, come out. And, um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm making my sounds and this guy is making his sounds and they were disgusting. (laughs) They were (laughs) like lascivious, sexual, gross, like the, the, the kind of sounds like I just, I was like, I couldn't believe that he was doing this Mm -hmm. and I got so scared. And so I just said, I was like, I, I, in the process, I was like, I, I'm scared of you. I don't want you to come near me. Do not come near me. And I had people walk me out to the car because I didn't want to be anywhere near him. I was scared of him. I was just like, your energy freaks me out. And so then I realized after that, I think the next day or no, after that module, because I was, I think in that, um, that the next day was when I saw you mm-hmm. and we've talked about this. Like you were like, you were crazy. And <laughs> yeah, I was judging you. I'm like, Jesus Christ, get your shit together. We have work to do. The guy's a fucking freak. Why are you giving him all this? Just get on with it. But I was in my terror. Yeah. yeah. And it was the first morning or the second morning. And I, I was shaking in the group. Like we were, we had a, yeah, cir- I remember. We, there was a circle and I was shaking it. And, came up to me and she said, Angela, you can feel this and you can feel this all the way. And I, I was like, I didn't know what was going on. I just mm-hmm. knew that my body was shaking. She's like, this is your terror and your terror is a portal. It's a portal to your power. Mm. Probably what's right underneath your terror is your rage. Mm. And I think at that point, I just started to scream. Right. And so after that, um, that module, I remember I was going for a walk in Griffith Park in LA. And I was walking by all these men. And I didn't realize this. I, I suddenly became aware that I was really scared of men. Mm. And that it wasn't just this guy. It was like my body reacted. It was just like, whoa, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, as soon as I became conscious of that, I was like, oh, is this guy actually doing anything to threaten me? 
no, he's just walking. Right. And I, my body just, I started to shift my body. Like Angela walk as if you're confident, as if you're, you're not scared. And so I did. And I, it just made me so aware of like all the, the people that I'd been scared of Mm -hmm. my whole life, you know? And so that, I mean, I, you know, I still didn't feel safe around that guy, but by the end of the year, we were so close. Like Mm. it was, he was just expressing some energy and, Mm -hmm. and. Well, uh, he was expressing it in relationship to you. Right. And maybe he was picking up on something. Yeah. And he wanted to provoke. You know, he could feel the place. Or we connect. Were... Yeah, or connect. Exactly. Exactly. Well, provoke to connect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But it was, a. I mean, you know, it was a lot of those kinds of experiences that I, I don't know, like, I, I guess I'm just to go back to your question, like the moment that I got it was like, I knew I had to just keep going to get more understanding of what was what I had been so unconscious of and like a, a, a moment like that, when you realize I've been walking around scared of men my whole life. And it's like, that's weird. You know, mm-hmm. like I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. What else do I not know? Well, and the thing is that you had the direct experience of it in this moment with this man. And then you have a facilitator who's helping you make sense of what it is. So essentially taking it out of the story and you bring it back to you. And it's like, it has nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. He's just provoked this place inside you. You have all this fear mm-hmm. and you need to feel this fear. This mm-hmm. feel belo- fear belongs to you. And you're carrying this fear in your body. Mm-hmm. And then later you realize like how much that fear you've been projecting out mm-hmm. and how much distortion that is. And how much suffering it's causing mm-hmm. you. You have this whole story. Men are dangerous. Whether you're not even fully conscious of it, but you're walking around the world like that. And, uh, you know, we're in a dream. Mm-hmm. None of it's real. And everybody's, that's what we're all doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing it still. It's not that I don't have any, I have blind spots. But I have a lot more consciousness than I used to. And I have a lot more self-awareness and I have a lot more control over my emotions. I mean, for me, it's this relationship with Diana where it's really being put to the test because obviously a personal romantic relationship, it's the hardest thing emotionally. All your emotional stuff is going to get triggered. Everything is there. Sex, money, intimacy, communication style. It's all, it's all happening. Mm -hmm. And I gotta say, I've been pretty good. I got to say, and I think Diana would agree if she's listening. I've not not been perfect. Not been perfect. I've had my moments. But as we get closer and it's become safer, uh, it's getting better and better. And I would not have been able to do this Mm. had I not gone through this work and this process. Like I feel saved by it in Mm -hmm. some way. And it's also fascinating because it's a puzzle to be solved. You know, we're all puzzles to be solved. Mm-hmm. And just you feel how much more power you have in the world when you are aware of what you're doing 
meaning what your projections are. And when you take ownership of them, when you know yourself and you're aware of them. And here's the key. This is what I've been talking about. To have no shame about it. Mm-hmm. Like zero shame about anything that you feel or any thought that arises. To just notice it and be with it and be curious about it because it's not coming out of nowhere. And it's not uh, because when we think and feel things that uh, we're not supposed to think and feel, I and mean, this goes back to the whole Jordan Peterson thing, we tend to shame ourselves. We make ourselves bad or we don't want to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just have to allow it. And that's also, I mean, I think that's the brilliance of radical aliveness. It's just like, it's, it's a space where you can just allow everything to come through, everything to come through. And you give yourself permission and then you trust and you see this play out in groups, right? Because what we'll tell people in groups is just don't hold back and trust that whatever wants to come through you is somehow going to serve the whole. It's not going to make sense to you in the moment, but you're going to see it at some point. And maybe you see it later in the group. Maybe you see it in that moment, or maybe you don't see it till the next day of the workshop or the next group, whatever it is. But somehow, some way that is going to serve like what that man did to you mm-hmm. he let that thing come through him this lascivious sexual energy and it served it helped heal you well and it, also i wanted to say that in the moment i think i might have thought you know this fear of men mm-hmm. had to do with maybe something that happened in my childhood, right. you know, maybe was there a man, you know, was it something threatening? Was it my dad? Was there something? But ultimately what I actually think it was, was I was scared of my own sexuality Yeah, and it, and it was starting to emerge mm. and I was deeply shamed for my sexuality. I think we're all scared of your sexuality, Angela. <laughs> it's just so powerful, so immense, so... Yeah. So, I mean, but I had, I had no idea about that, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's not what I would have, you know, if I had made meaning of it, it would have been like somebody raped me when I was three and I forgot. The truth is you wanted to fuck all these guys. Right. And eventually I remember standing in this dance class, this was years later Mm -hmm. and everybody was, had, was going around saying their name and saying one sentence that was true for them. And I said, uh, my name is Angela. And I love men. Wow. And it felt so powerful and so freeing and so true, you know? And um, like for me to have gone from that place to, to right. loving right. men was, you know, because men helped me to access my sexuality mm-hmm. and in a way that felt so good to me. Mm. And I was so grateful. And so, yeah. The, the making meaning part of, of what we're doing, I think, is important, too. Like, not to make too much meaning of right, it, but just right. to allow the energy. Just to allow the energy, yeah. Don't let your mind get in the way. I mean, that's that's for later. You can put the pieces of the puzzle together, but mm-hmm. in the moment, just let it let all the feeling come through. It's funny you say that you, the story about you claiming that you love men, because the first workshop with Anne that Eslin experienced that I was just talking about, the first night we got there, one of the exercises we did was go around and say something to somebody that feels like a risk. And so, you know, you walk around, you're mingling with people and you, mm-hmm. you go to one person and, and she said, oh yeah, the risk might change with different people. And I remember this woman came and 
she was from New York. She was in her sixties and she reminded me of my grandmother mm-hmm. and she looks at me and she, you know, we have this moment. She says her risk. I don't remember what it was. And I look at her and I say, I hate women. <laughs> and I'd never had that thought consciously. I'd never thought I hated women. It was the opposite. I love women. And she looked at me a little bit scared because I said it very strongly. I let mm-hmm. it, I really let it come through and I owned it. It, it shocked me, but it also felt great to say, mm-hmm. like, I fucking hate women. And let me tell you, I got a good fucking reason. <laughs> and, uh, and that was the whole thrust, obviously, of that, that workshop. Mm-hmm. But the freedom, right, to, mm-hmm. to bring that out without shame. It's like, okay, I hate women or, or I'm afraid of men. Right. And what's that about? Mm-hmm. Why do you hate women? I wonder what, you know, what are you defending? What are you scared of? Mm-hmm. What's, you know, and then you just work with it. Okay. We'll bring out all your hatred. There's all the women. Just, you know, tell them how much you hate them mm-hmm. and why. And if you're willing to do that and let all of that emotion move through your body, it's going to take you somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't know where it's going to take you. You know, we know it's going to take you somewhere more vulnerable, probably to your fear or your longing. I mean, that was what was underneath it for me. I hated women because I wasn't getting what I wanted from them, but I wasn't allowing myself to ask for what I needed. I wasn't available. I wasn't being vulnerable. I, and I was pursuing women that couldn't give me what I needed. Mm. So it was this, and this, it was really repressed love. That's why I hated them. I was repressing my own love and desire hmm. and my, uh, the impulse to nurture and provide and ded- be de- a dedicated man. I wanted all that, but I just felt so betrayed by my mother. There was just no fucking way I was going to open up my heart again. Hmm. And so I had to feel all of that. And that's, that to me is the gift, right? Like, and, and also <clears throat> the gift that Anne gave me was she held my projection. She let me hate her. She let mm-hmm. me judge her. She let me attack her. She let me bring all of that out. And I, I know it wasn't easy for her mm-hmm. and she didn't hold it perfectly, but she did hold it for me. And, uh, so I want to give that to other people, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm probably doing all the time in this podcast, letting you saying things. And I just want to know it's okay. If you hate me, you're welcome. Project all your hate onto me. I'll hold it for you gracefully and lovingly, mm-hmm. but it's true, right? It's a, there's a gift in that. And, uh, we need that, mm-hmm. you know, people need that to heal. I tested her. And she didn't go away. She didn't leave, mm-hmm. which is probably what I was trying to get her to do. Right. Yeah. And then I could then to prove my theory. Ah, there it is. Ultimately, you will betray me. Mm. You can't handle me. I'm too much. Watch, watch. I'm going to prove that I'm too much. You'll see. And then you'll leave. Fuck you. Right. I'm going to make it so. And I'm never going to stop. Mm. So that was the game I was running. And she didn't leave. She stayed. 
to the end. <laughs> I mean, poor woman. <laughs> I feel bad. Not really, but because I'm pretty cruel. I can be cruel. I can be, I'm very psychopathic. Mm. So when it's, I'm turned on, I'm just, I'm in a, I'm in attack mode. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I've had my own versions of that with certain teachers. Um, I mean, yeah, including like, it was always like, what the fuck happened with the year? You know, first year class, second year class, year class. I don't know. Teacher came in, Angela said some shit, didn't trust, <laughs> ended up with a guy crying in front of the room. I was like, what the fuck is their problem? And then I was like, does she not understand that that's about her control and that she's being fucking cruel? Does she not, does she not get that? She's somehow the victim. It's like, I don't feel comfortable with you. It's like, okay. No, like, I did not understand that then. I understand that now. And I am also willing to be that person <laughs> that people may cry, uh, which has happened, you know? And so, really? yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's like payback. It's payback. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I needed that as well. Um, needed what? I needed to get that out. Well, I, yeah, I needed like to take down the leaders. Yeah. 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 You know, I needed to, to feel that I could do that. I'd never felt that before. Right. Like that was, that was something new for me Mm -hmm. because I could, in my child, I didn't, I didn't ever feel like I could take down my mother. Well, that's yeah. Confronting authority. I mean, in some ways, the whole process of of the training, at least is you're, you're, they're reparenting you. Right. Yeah. I know they don't, I said that to Anne. It's like, you're remothering. She was like, ah, she didn't want to hear that. But I'm like, well, you know, you're, you're taking us through, you're, you're meeting our needs. You're seeing us. You're allowing us to have our protest, our fuck you, and uh, and you're holding that for us, mm-hmm. which is what we wanted as children. Mm-hmm. That's what children need. I mean, Howard Stern said something brilliant, brilliant on a show a long time ago when I used to listen to him. It's like, you have to let your kids be fucking angry at you at a certain point. Like your kids grow, grow up, they're 16, 17, 18. They start to realize how much you fuck them up. Mm-hmm. And so they have a right to be like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. You got to be like, yeah, I feel you. You got to give it to them. And I, most parents do not. They're, they're threatened by that. Or they're shaming it or they make it bad. And so, but that's one of the things we let people do. Like have your, because we, we also, we make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We miss things. We say the wrong thing. We're, we're late, whatever. Communicate in a way that's, inconsistent and then people are hurt it's like okay well we make space for them to have their feelings toward us towards the leaders yeah and i you know i want to say like i can feel because it seems to me that you have an easier time with people projecting onto you the 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 negative counter the negative transference. Right. People hate you. People, you know, whatever they disagree. I they just disagree. assume they secretly love me, and they're just it's just a, this, you know, that the hatred is just masking a desire to be closer. Well, and That's maybe how I hold for it. maybe for you. That's why I don't take it personally. 
but also maybe for you that to, to actually receive the, the, the love, love part of that. That's the edge for me. Right. It's easier for me to receive hate than love. Yeah. And yeah. I can feel it's the opposite for mm, me, you know? Yeah. And so I think that we're, we're entering those, those times right now, you know? <laughs> This it would be great if it just all turned that everybody yeah. loved me and hated you. Yeah, I think, I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so you know, but I I asked I I, I said I'm ready for that now. So mm-hmm. it's happening. It's you know? happening, and it's important. It's it, it has to happen. It has, it has to happen to for happen. me, but it also has to happen for my clients or whoever works for me works with me. You know that um, you have to be able to. Exp- explore all the parts of you yeah with the person that you're working with you know to yeah to free yourself yeah so that's what i'm willing to do and that's you know what i what i want to go into and you have to be willing to be loved <laughs> i'm do i am doing it <laughs> with diana right i know i am i'm letting her love me i'm i feel like i'm i receive her love she's very affectionate i've said this before I called her needy the other day. She didn't like that. You're watching something. Nobody. Who's gonna like that? <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have any shame about it. Um, what were we watching? We're watching something, and it was something, and I forget. And she said, "She's like, am I needy?" Mm. Obviously, if she's asking the question, she knows the answer. Okay, so we're we gonna lie. I'm like sometimes, and uh, she got upset. Not very upset. She was just, you know, I could feel her pull back. She felt hurt, and uh, I said, "What's the problem?" Well, I don't, want, I don't, I don't want to be needy. I'm like, "Why not? We're all needy. Be needy. Just have it. Mm-hmm. Be needy. Like, just have it. It's fine." The problem is denying. When you deny it, mm-hmm. then right. you're coming at me sideways in weird ways. And then right. when you don't get it, you kind of, you know, mope or pout or whatever, which is, you know, I, I know that because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm needy, you know, I don't, and I'm, it's hard for me to ask for my needs. And she's, and that's what she said. It was so classic. Uh, it feels weak. Mm. Right. I said, it doesn't feel weak to me. Mm-hmm. You just, we just have to give ourselves permission. Like give ourselves permission for everything. And then I said, maybe we need to go all the way into your neediness. Like, you know, like what's there. And cause she has this thing where she, she's, I think I told you she grabs me. Like she kind of physically, physically, like she, I remember once she just like, I got up and she grabbed me and pulled me down or she'll grab me and like pull me down. And it's very, you know, if you actually think about the energy of it, it's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like you're grabbing me and pulling me down. It you there's something like controlling in it. Mm. And and she she's aware of it. And then she says, No, I have that impulse. I have to stop myself mm. from like I could feel it in my body. And I'm like, well, maybe you need to go all the way into it. Like maybe you need to go all the way into the impulse that wants to grab me and hold me and mm. and maybe there's something shadowy there, like to feel the place where maybe you wanna have total control over me. Mm. Right. And obviously, because in her mind, it, that's probably, the, probably the thing that makes her feel 
safe. Right. So that's all. I mean, why am I bringing this up? To humiliate Diana. That's why. No. Uh, She loves me talking about her on the podcast. But to to illustrate one of the concepts of the work is go all the way into whatever it is. Mm -hmm. What's here? I'm needy. I want to control. Right. I want what I want. And what's the statement there? You have to give it to me. I want what I want. You have to give it to me whenever I want it. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's what it is for her, but like something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And just to give yourself permission to have all of it, all of the demands, all the the shadowy impulses Mm -hmm. and then see what's there. And it's, and to liberate yourself from shame. Mm -hmm. That's the key. I keep talking about this. It's the most important thing. Just don't feel shame about anything that you feel. Or any impulse that you have, just be curious about it. What is that? I wonder what that is. Why do I want to control? Why do I, want, why do I feel hatred toward that person? What is that? Or is there some part of me that I don't own in myself that that person has in them? And when you do this, it actually, like, if the shame doesn't take over, it's actually really fun. It's totally fun. That there's, there's something about going all the way into that energy. That's, that's, it's just like, oh... I remember that uh, this uh this this supervision session I think I had um with Patty and she had everyone oh she was some exercise that we were doing but at one point um like it got really really honest I got really honest and I said to one of the members in the supervision group, I don't like you. Mm. And, and the, like, I was so afraid to say it, you know, it was something, you know, and in fact, I was like doing everything that I could to try to hide that from myself in some way and hide it from her. And then once I said it, she was like, finally, (laughs) finally. Right. And she's like, yeah, I know. And I was like, Oh, and then Patty said, well, and Angela, that could change tomorrow. Right. I was like, oh, right. Yeah, I don't always not like you. I just don't like you right now. Right. Like kids. Yeah. It's like, sometimes I don't like you. Mm -hmm. This is what the energy is right now. It's Mm -hmm. not like it's never going to change. And that's, you know, that's why it's like. The, that that was saying about the curveball. It's like it's I like I'm gonna change, mm-hmm. but something about not about holding it back, not not and be and shaming myself for that place mm-hmm. holds me in this place that never is free to. It's like the the moment I said it, and she said finally, I was like, oh, like I liked her in that moment. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like she saw the truth, and we were both in the truth of it, and was like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, the truth is liberating, and it, it's a relief to hear it. Yeah, it's just energy. Yeah, well, yeah, to, and you know, another way of saying what I've been saying is just to not be attached. Mm-hmm. Right. Just be, you know. Have we, have we convinced people? I don't know. We'll see. To come to the group. Come to the. <laughs> it's a space, you know. It's, it's like a, a, it's a laboratory to explore yeah. yourself emotionally. Yeah, without, uh, I mean, in some way, like consciously, we're trying to do this as conscious as possible 
so that you're not actually hurting anyone mm-hmm. like, so that you're not, or that if you are like you're owning it and then mm-hmm. and moving past that place yeah um but yeah i guess that's what i'm in you like what we want to do is just offer the space to mm-hmm. do that in yeah and now we have this space and it's carpeted it's <laughs> carpeted has soft carpet uh-huh and lots of pillows yep and things to hit smells things with. like carpet unfortunately but that'll go away by april yeah by april do we have i was i was gonna say and we we have no ideology but we do have an ideology define ideology well uh, uh just uh ideas that shape the way we think and that I, I get we I, I mean we hold those ideas in our mind but I, I guess the point I'm making or the, what I was thinking is I don't think we're trying to impose anything on anyone like a, a rigid idea of how you should be the way maybe a meditation practice or Buddhism or different religions give you a a code of conduct or a structure about how to exist, a belief system. Are, are we trying to impose a belief system on people? I guess we can't really avoid it. Well, I was going to say, can we actually really know that right now? What do you mean? Know what? I mean, if you were to ask uh, some meditation, are you trying to impose a belief system? On, mm-hmm. would well, they, they haven't. I like. I'm just. I guess the question is the ideology. I, I guess what am I trying to get at here? We're not. I'm not trying to impose anything on anybody. I'm not trying to tell people what to think. I'm not trying to tell people how to act. I'm not trying to say there's a right or wrong way to live. All I'm trying to do is hold a space for you to express yourself and see what's there and to guide you to to deeper truths about who you actually are. And there's a framework that I hold inside my own mind and I have my own personal philosophy, I guess. My I guess I have my own personal ideology about how I think the world works or people work based on my work and all the things that I've done. But I guess it's not a cult. It's not a, it's wide open and you can change it. That I think that's the thing that's most interesting about it. Like, because there were times that I would go to Anne's groups, school, workshop, and she would start talking and I would be like, I'm not into this. I don't want this, What the, the way she's framing things right now, her intention for this workshop or this class, I'm not interested in, I don't, I don't want to be here for this. And so I, you know, in my mind, I'm creating separation. There's a, there's a no. And also I'm not getting what I want. Hmm. And I remember the moment I made the decision, I can always get what I want. The rules of this game that she set up is that I'm allowed to bring myself out. The rules are that to not hold back. Mm -hmm. So if I don't hold back, I can get what I want. And that was the most empowering thing that ever happened to me. Mm. 
Because it made me realize I can always get what I want if I'm willing to risk bringing myself out. Mm -hmm. And I didn't disturb anything that they were doing. I wasn't a disruption. It wasn't like I just stood up and said, fuck all this. I want what I want. I, you know, I would, I would find the moment, the right time. And then I would just get what I needed. And it somehow would always serve what was going on. So I guess I wanted to say that because I want people to know that, yes, we work within a framework. We have some kind of structure in our own minds, an ideology, I guess, about psychology and about you know, somatic psychology specifically, but all is welcome. Like you're allowed to bring all of who you are here and we will hold that, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the most exciting thing. Where else are you allowed to go and bring all of who you are and invite everyone in the room to bring all of who they are in one space and hold that in some kind of cohesion and show people that we can, this can be done. You don't have to hold back. You don't have to make yourself small to fit in, to be here. Everybody in this room can be as expressive, as big, as powerful as they want to be. And there's room for everyone and every type of expression and every way of thinking, if you're willing to stay and feel. And make no demands on that anyone is a certain way for you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I want to say that all is welcome, but not, uh, and I, I want to be mindful of how I say this, but it's in some ways, like we're not, we're not welcoming everyone. Yes. Well, what do you mean by that? We have an interview process. Yes. And we are, um, this work isn't for everyone. No, that's important to say. Yes. Because, and we've, we found out, yeah, I think the hard way, you know, but because this work is really, um, it can go fast. Mm -hmm. It can be incredibly expansive, but like almost to the point if you're, not ready for it, mm -hmm. it can do harm. Yeah, I agree. And so we have to be really mindful of who we're saying it's okay to come. Yeah. And it's not to say that people that we think it's not good for, like they're defective in any way. It's just that this work we've seen actually can, can create harm for people. Yeah. And so um, I would say people who haven't, um, not, um, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Well, this is how I think about it. And you mm -hmm. can riff off this. It, 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 you have to be in your body. Now we're, none of us are perfectly a hundred percent in our body and present all the time, but there's, if you have a really hard time staying in your body, just in general, you probably shouldn't come to our workshops because there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of emotional expression. And if you can't stay reasonably present with it, 
then it's it's not for you. It, it can do harm mm-hmm. because there's so much going on. There's a lot of chaos. And yeah, I think, and it, this, this is why we go through the interview, interview process to see, to sense if somebody is able to hold on to themselves. Mm-hmm. If they have a certain kind of uh, presence or self-assuredness that their ego structure is relatively strong, right? Somebody who's got a lot of trauma, particularly early childhood trauma, who may uh, be somewhat fragile, uh, delicate, and I don't mean that in any kind of pejorative way, but they need something gentler, softer, Mm -hmm. more tender, Mm -hmm. slower, yes. And it's not that there's not those moments in the group, but there is a lot of catharsis. And so certain people just like that that energy that that amount of energy they just don't have the physical container to tolerate it so what happens is they split off mm-hmm. and when they split off that's when it they can they their wounding gets recreated they're re-traumatized i guess mm-hmm. i don't know if that's exactly what's happening but they're they can't stay present mm-hmm. and so yeah it's it is important and, and it's important for us to be really clear about that for for ourselves and also for for the people who are coming and wanting to come mm-hmm. how's that all feel like that this conversation for you if people are listening hearing what we're saying curious about the work thinking about coming to a workshop is there anything else that you would want them to know i mean i think that we are in a conversation about what the workshop is, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's still evolving. There's, there's a million more things to say, you know, and I think it's enough for today. It's enough for today. (laughs) Don't you think? 